Podcasts are pretty common. So what makes the Uncommon Podcast uncommon? Well, it's all in our name. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and we at Uncommon Sports Group understand the unique pressures and temptations that come with a career in the sport industry. We provide uncommon training that helps you successfully navigate common challenges. Hit the follow button on this podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Check out our website and become uncommon. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Uncommon Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Weiss, and boy, do we have a treat for you on this episode as I am joined by one of the great apologists of our time, Dr. Frank Turek. Dr. Turek is the president of Cross Examine, an apologetics ministry that focuses on equipping young people with reasons to believe. He is the co-author of the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and is the author of four other books, including his most recent book, co-authored by his son, Zach Turek, titled Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. Frank, it's an honor to have you with us today. Thanks, Noah. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So, Frank, today we're going to talk about why our listeners can be sure that the Christian faith is true by answering four key questions that give us evidence for our faith. These questions come from the book that you wrote with Dr. Geisler, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. But before we dive into that conversation, I'd love for you to start by sharing why apologetics matters. Doesn't the Bible say I should just have faith, and why do we need evidence? Yeah, well, actually, the Bible doesn't say just have faith. <laughs> the Bible says always give, a, to give an answer or a reason for the hope that you have. Uh, and you could just point out to somebody that it makes practical sense as, as well. I mean, why should you believe in God? Uh, or, in it, or if you do believe in God, why should you believe in the Christian God? Why not be a Muslim? Right? Mm-hmm. The Muslims claim the Quran's the word of God, so why not be a Muslim? Well, you, you got to use evidence to discover which one of the views is correct of God. If God does exist, is it the Christian view? Is it the Muslim view? Is it some other view? So you got to get evidence for that. And by the way, this is a world of evidence mm-hmm. which should clue us in to say, this world is designed. Our minds are designed so we can understand evidence and we can draw conclusions that are correct about the world outside of our skulls. That itself, it appears to me, is an argument for some kind of intelligence out there, that we have intelligence and that the world operates intelligently. Absolutely, Dr. Turek. And, and I think one awesome thing, the first question you you talk about is, does truth exist? And we live in a culture today where truth is often seen as relative, or my truth is my truth, your truth is, is your truth. And you talk extensively about this in the book, but I'll just ask you candidly, I love your response to this, does truth exist? Yes, to say that it doesn't is to actually make a truth claim. So if somebody says there's no truth, you just want to ask them, is that true? I mean, they're making a truth claim. So quite obviously truth exists because to deny truth is actually to affirm it. It would be like saying I can't speak a word in English. If I were to say I can't speak a word in English, I'm using English to say it. And so... Anyone that denies truth is uttering a truth claim. It happens to be false to say there's no truth, but it still claims itself to be true. Hmm. Uh, Some people will say all truth is relative. And in that case, you want to ask them, is that a relative truth? No, it's an absolute truth claiming all truth is relative, right? Or people might say, well, you can't know truth, to which I'm going to ask, 
How do you know that's true then? Or uh, people will say there's no the truth, there's only my truth. I'm going to ask them, is that a the truth, that there's no the truth, only my truth? Because if it's just a my truth, why should I believe it? In other words, if it's just your opinion, why should I believe it? But when people say there is no the truth, only my truth, they're making a the truth claim that there are no the truths. You see, it's self-defeating. Hmm. Again, it's like saying I can't speak a word in English, or it's like saying my parents had no kids that lived, right? These are yeah. these just destru- self-destruct. Of course, there's truth. If there was no truth, you could never call anybody out on a lie either, could you? Right? right. You can never say, hey, that's wrong <laughs> yeah. if there was no truth. So, of course, there are lies. And if there are lies, that presupposes there are truths. Yeah, absolutely, Dr. Turek. And I think this is so valuable because we live in, like I said, that postmodern culture where this this my truth mindset is so accepted. And, and we often don't think of how counterintuitive that is, right? It can often give you, I've heard you say, mental constipation of just it's so hard to think about these things and, and to process. But for the Christian, it matters so much to understand that there is one truth, right? I love you shared on a podcast once that if, if you, you know, you think about this in terms of a bank teller, right? And if you claim that your bank statement is higher than it actually is, well, there is one truth for that, regardless of what you may believe in, in reference to your bank statement. Um, so I, I love even processing that as well, of there is one truth that is true for everyone every time. Um, so I think this is such a valuable question in, in our present culture. And, and I love the second question, right? Because we have this idea where there's a foundation of truth exists, right? We know for a fact that there is, there has to be a truth. But the second question you ask is, does God exist, right? And this kind of delves into more, what is that truth, right? Is, is it God? Is it not God? Is it, is it the Christian God? Is it, is it a polytheistic God? How do we know what exactly we're looking at here? And so I'd love to hear from you. This question is so, it's such a big deal in our culture does God exist? And what are some of the best arguments for proving the existence of God? I already mentioned one briefly, and that has to do with the fact that the universe is intelligible. So there seems to be an intelligence behind the universe. But the three main arguments we talk about in the book, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And we also talk about when we go to college campuses uh, and present this or churches. In fact, um, your listeners or viewers can see these events on our YouTube channel, cross-examined YouTube channel, two words, cross-examined with a D on the end of it. And uh, the three arguments we give for the existence of God, the first one is the argument from the beginning of the universe. The second is the argument from the design of the universe and the design of life. And the third argument is from the fact that there's an objective moral standard out there, that murder's really wrong. It's just not my opinion. It's really wrong because it violates the standard of goodness that God's nature is. Hmm. But let's just take the first argument. Uh, the first argument is the fact that the universe had a beginning. Uh, and even atheists now are admitting that space, time, and matter had a beginning out of nothing, that there was no space, time, or matter, and that it came into existence out of no space, time, and matter. There hmm. was nothing, no space, time, or matter, and then it came into existence out of nothing. The universe did. Now, the question is, what could have caused that? Well, it seems to me if space, time, and matter had a beginning, whatever caused space, time, and matter must transcend space, time, and matter. In other words, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful to create the universe out of nothing, personal in order to choose to create, because to go from a state of nothingness to a state of creation, someone had to make a choice, and only persons can make choices. The being would also have to be intelligent to have a mind to make a choice. 
So I always ask people, no, I always ask them, when you think about a spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligent cause, who do you think of? Most people will say God, but some skeptic might say, well, how do you know it's the Christian God? And my answer is we don't yet. We haven't done enough research yet. It could be the Christian God, but this argument that is technically called the cosmological argument doesn't get you all the way to Christianity, but it does get you what appears to be a being that is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, and intelligent. It could be the Christian God. It could also be Allah, right? Or some other theistic God or deistic God. But if you keep doing the research, you keep going through the questions we're talking about here, I think we'll realize that the same being that walked out of the tomb 1,989 years ago is the same being in whose divine nature created the universe out of nothing. Hmm. But you've got to see if Jesus rose from the dead first to say that the creator of the universe is Jesus. Absolutely. And Dr. Turk, I, I love if you could elaborate a little more on the moral argument. I think some people struggle to grasp the moral argument for God because it, you know, some people say, well, our morals come from survival techniques or our morals are derived from, from society and, and we're just told what to do based on what our society says. How would you respond to a, a skeptic well, or, an, or an individual that says that? I would ask which society, Hitler's society or our society? If you're, if you're going to say that, say, our society is better than Hitler's society, you're assuming there's a standard beyond both of our societies. Hmm. And you're saying that our society is closer to the real, true moral standard than was Hitler's, hmm. right? Without yeah. a standard beyond all societies, which is called international law, C.S. Lewis called it the moral law, Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence called it nature's law. What, are the, what do they all mean? God's nature, okay? Hmm. Without a standard beyond human governments, you couldn't say the Nazis were wrong and say the allies were right. That would just be your opinion. Hmm. But since there is a standard and that standard is God's nature, then you can say, well, murdering Jews is wrong and trying to save Jews is right, which hmm. is what the allies were trying to do. Yeah. Say, if there's no standard beyond Nazis, no standard beyond the allies, you can't say one is right and the other's wrong. But we all understand, rightfully so, that uh, the Allies were correct and the Nazis were wrong. Hmm. Also, there has to be a standard beyond humanity. Otherwise, everything's just a matter of opinion. Yeah. Right? It would just be your opinion against Hitler's opinion or your opinion against Mother Teresa's opinion. Hmm. Yeah. There's no God. Everything's just a, a matter of opinion. Well, we know murder's not just a matter of opinion. We know slavery is not just a matter of opinion or rape is not. It's, it's real. Those things are really wrong. Yeah. If they're really wrong, there must be a standard that's really right that we're obligated to obey. Hmm. And we don't have an obligation to impersonal forces. We don't have an obligation to the Nazi society to obey their laws. We only have an obligation to the God who created us and sustains us and whose nature is good. We have an obligation to him. We don't have an obligation to immoral, uh, unjust forces. Yeah, Dr. Turek. Well, it's so well said, and I think if we really process the moral argument for God, it's one of the better arguments for God because we all have this inside of us, right? If if somebody close to us is being bullied or somebody close to us is murdered, there there is something in us that tells us that is objectively wrong. We can't say it's just subjective to society or the laws that we're a part of. I think this is one of the more powerful arguments for God, so I really appreciate you taking time to elaborate on that. As I think There's it, much more in the book. I know that 
that has a lot of questions to and yeah. a lot of uh, objections to. Let me just say one other thing about it, which may help, because a lot of people say, are you are you saying that atheists can't know morality or atheists can't do good? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying atheists can know morality and I'm saying atheists can do good. I'm just saying that there would be no good to do unless God existed. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. It'd be like if you're driving down the street and you see a speed limit sign and it says 45 miles an hour. You can know that what that sign says and you can obey the law and deny somebody put the sign up, right? Mm-hmm. While you're denying that somebody put the sign up, you can still know what the sign says and you can still obey the law. In other words, you can still do good, even if you deny that somebody put the sign up. Hmm. Some authority did. Yeah. And that same is true when it comes to atheists. They can know you shouldn't murder. They can not murder. They can do good and deny there's a source for morality that says you ought not murder. Yeah. And you ought to do good. So yeah. it's not a, what we call in philosophy. It's not an epistemological question. We're not mm. questioning how do we know right and wrong, mm. but we're what we're trying to explain is why is there a right and wrong to begin with? Why is there a standard out there that we are obligated to obey? That yeah. can only be true if God exists, because we're not obligated to, to impersonal forces. We're not obligated, say, to obey the law of gravity. Mm. You know, when you, got, when you go and try and dunk a basketball, you're not sinning against the law of gravity. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... The moral law is only exists in an objective way if God exists. Absolutely. And, and I think that speed limit sign makes a lot of sense. And I've heard you say before as well, you had a great example of, of the sport of football, right? Of how you know that a touchdown pass and an interception are, are different because of the rules. of There's an objective goal to the game to score yeah, a, a touchdown. Purpose. If there was no purpose to a football game, you couldn't say that your quarterback mm. throwing a touchdown yeah. was better than your quarterback throwing a pick six, right? Absolutely. There'd be no way to measure mm-hmm. that. But exactly. since there is a purpose, then you know that your quarterback throwing a touchdown is better than your quarterback throwing a pick six because the touchdown gets you closer to the goal. Right. Yeah. Well, if there's no God, there is no goal, which mm. means there is no good way to live or a wrong way to live. Absolutely. Like, if there's no goal to the football game, there's no good plays or bad plays mm. because there's no way to measure whether the play gets you closer to the goal or further away from the goal if there is no goal. Absolutely. So well said. And I think that example just rings so true for a lot of young people, especially in the sports world. And, and I think that argument is, is very powerful. And Frank, the third question that you guys answer, you and Dr. Geisler in your book, is are miracles possible? And I'd love to hear from you. How do miracles being possible help us get closer to the fact that Christianity is true? Well, miracles are used to tell God's people, obey this person. He speaks for me. Hmm. I mean, when you look in the in the, the Bible, there are three great periods of miracles, Moses, Elijah, and Elijah, and Jesus and the apostles. Mm. There are periods in the Bible where there are very few miracles going on. Yeah. And the reason they're going on in those areas in abundance is because God wants people to follow those people. God wants his people and Pharaoh to follow what Moses says, because Moses is speaking for God. And how does he authenticate he's speaking for God? He does miracles. Mm. How does Elijah and Elijah do that? Miracles. How does Jesus and the apostles do that? Miracles. But there are periods in the Bible where there's not hardly any miracles at all. Why? Because there's no new revelation that needs new confirmation. There's no Mm. need. There's no new sermon that needs a new sign. There's no new 
message that needs a new miracle. So miracles are used in the Bible to affirm that a message or a person comes from God. Yeah. And I know a lot of people don't believe miracles are possible. And I always ask them, what is the greatest miracle in the Bible? And most people will say the resurrection, but no, the resurrection is not the greatest miracle in the Bible. The greatest miracle in the Bible is the first verse in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because mm. if that verse is true, every other verse is at least possible. And here's the interesting thing, Noah. Even atheists are admitting the data for the first miracle. They're admitting space, time, and matter had a beginning out of nothing. Mm. Now, they deny God did it, but they don't have another explanation. And it seems quite obvious, again, that if space, time, and matter had a beginning, the cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, and intelligent which sounds a lot like God. <laughs> yeah. It can't be nature that created the universe. Why? Because nature didn't exist. Nature is the effect, not the cause. Mm. So there's something beyond nature that brought nature into existence. That's what we're saying. So if Genesis 1-1 is true, then every other miracle is at least possible, yeah. including a resurrection. And some people don't believe in miracles because they haven't seen one. That's not a good reason to disbelieve something, by the way. You believe mm. a lot of things you've never seen, right? So true. But nevertheless, miracles have to be rare if they're going to get our attention. I mean, can you imagine if miracles like resurrections occurred routinely? What would the resurrection of Christ mean to us? Not much. Nothing, right? You go to somebody and you go, Jesus rose from the dead to prove he was God. And the guy goes, so what? Uncle Leroy just rose from the dead two weeks ago, right? Yeah. Now I got to give the inheritance back. No, it's got to be a rare event if it's going to get our attention. If miracles like resurrections occurred routinely, we'd go, hey, stuff happens all the time. What's a big deal? Hmm. So God uses miracles sparingly for a reason. Now, it doesn't mean God can't do a miracle anytime he wants, but he does them rarely because by definition, they have to be rare if they're going to get our attention. Hmm. That's so well said, Dr. Tarek. And I think even processing as well, Genesis 1-1, and we're so used to creation that I think we often miss how amazing it is, even just looking around on the day-to-day, -day, but also the creation event of space, time, and matter coming into existence at one time, oh, yeah. um, that all, all other things, including the resurrection itself, are, are more than possible. So I think that perspective is so great, and you do elaborate a lot more on this in the book in, in really an awesome way. Um, so I, I think it's a really awesome question to answer in, in reference to discovering the truth of Christianity. And Frank, lastly, this is the most important question in, in the entire book. It gets us to the Christian God. And I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So certainly the most important question for a Christian to answer is, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And I'd love to hear from you. What are some of the best pieces of evidence that the New Testament and the resurrection are actually true? Wow, there's a lot there. Um, we go through about 10 different reasons that the New Testament writers are telling the truth. Um, I'll just give a couple brief. One is, we know they were eyewitnesses. Why? Because they include eyewitness testimony everywhere that can be verified. In fact, in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, we point out that Luke himself, just in the book of Acts, from chapter 13 or so to the end of the book, includes about 84 details that only could have been known if he was an eyewitness or knew eyewitnesses. Hmm. The Gospel of John has 59 of these details. Um, so they're, they're writing down only what an eyewitness could know. Hmm. A lot of it has to even to do with where they were and who was the ruler at a given time or... 
what were the wind patterns and weather patterns in certain areas in the Mediterranean? I mean, stuff like that. The customs that were followed in the first century, even the names in the New Testament are names that have been verified to be the prominent names of that time, at that time, in that location. I mean, name use changes with generations. Yeah. How many Marys do you know, by the way? How many other friends? Do, do you know yeah. anybody the kids that names their kid Mary or Frank anymore? No, no, nobody does, right? <laughs> yeah. they're, they're naming kids like, like your name, Noah, you know, Aaron, Austin, right? These are the more popular names now. You wouldn't find, certainly you wouldn't find probably an Austin, uh, say, 50 or 60 years ago when I was born. Right. Mm. Nobody named Austin. Why? Because people change their name usage. Yeah. And the same thing is true back in the first century. They've discovered that the names in the New Testament are first century names that were in use in Israel at the time. Mm. They weren't even the same names used in the first century in Egypt among Jews. So stuff like that helps you realize that, okay, they're writing at the time. They couldn't have known this otherwise. Mm. Uh, also, there's so many embarrassing details in the text that they never would have invented. They never would have run away at the crucifixion. They never would have had uh, Jesus call their leader Peter, Satan, right? They never would have had Peter deny Christ three times. They never would have made this stuff up, in other words. Mm-hmm. Too embarrassing. Yeah. They wouldn't have the Lord called demon-possessed and a madman and a drunkard if they were making all this up. Yeah. Uh, they wouldn't have the women be the first witnesses at the tomb. Because that was embarrassing to the men, and also it didn't help their case because a woman's testimony was not considered on par with that of a man. So if you're trying to pass off the New Testament story as the truth, you'd never say the women were the first witnesses. Hmm. Uh, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't uh, have uh, the brothers of Jesus not believe in him. That's embarrassing. Hmm. They wouldn't have... The disciples doubt Jesus had resurrected from the dead when he's standing in front of them yeah. in Matthew chapter 28, verse yeah. 17. These, these embarrassing details are not invented. They're telling the truth. Uh, so those are just a couple of reasons. And then, of course, the other reason that's quite obvious is they went and died for it when they could have saved themselves by saying it never happened. Hmm. Why do you have Jews writing in the first century who thought they were God's chosen people inventing a man who claimed to be God and rose from the dead when they didn't think a man claimed to be God or a man claiming to be God could happen because that was blasphemy. And they didn't think a man would rise from the dead in the middle of time. They knew we'd all rise from the dead at the end of time, according to Daniel chapter 12, but they didn't think a man would rise from the dead in the middle of time. Why would these Jews who wrote down the new Testament abandon their long held beliefs about blasphemy and about resurrection and about the uh, about the uh, sacrificial system where they're sacrificing lambs to Yahweh for hundreds. Of, why would they abandon all that hmm. to say a man rose from the dead, claimed to be God and rose from the dead, if he didn't yeah. claim to be God and rise from the dead? I mean, hmm. why would they go to their death saying that? Yeah. So there's a lot of evidence they told the truth. In fact, sometimes I put it this way, Noah. The New Testament writers did not create the resurrection the resurrection created the New Testament writers. Well, there would be no New Testament documents written by Jews in the first century. And all the writers of the New Testament were Jews, with the exception of Luke. He's the only Gentile. They're all Jews. Why are they inventing this? Hmm. 
mm. to get themselves beaten, tortured, and killed? No, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and Dr. Turek, I love the embarrassing details because I think you put yourself in the, in the position of making up a story, right? If you're, if you're a kid in grade school and you're told to write a, a fairy tale or a story, you don't put embarrassing details about the, the hero within that story. It doesn't align with, with humans and, and how we think, right? We, we want our hero to be perfect and, and not have to, to deal with those embarrassing realities. So I think you process it that way. Those embarrassing details are almost the greatest piece of evidence, in my opinion, for the New Testament. And, and I think those were purposeful by God to give us that at this point in time to look back. Um, so I do appreciate you sharing. I think those, those are so compelling to, to process in terms of the New Testament. There's a lot more in the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and a later book I wrote called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. So if they're interested in that kind of evidence, check those books out. Yeah, and speaking of that, Frank, I'm curious, if our listeners want to dive deeper into these questions, where can they get your book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist? Uh, well, anywhere you get books. Uh, we have a website, too, crossexamine.org. If they click on store, they'll see not only books, but DVDs and other writings they can get. Also, our YouTube channel has quite a bit on it, crossexamine.org. And, of course, our, our, our podcast called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Mm -hmm. uh, we go to a lot of colleges, and uh, you can see the events we stream live from the college campus. If they go to crossexamine.org, click on events, they'll see them there. So you can watch all this stuff live on YouTube. And then we, we put a lot of that on YouTube in the form of Q&A as well. Mm. Uh, so all that's on our YouTube channel, Crossexamined YouTube channel. Awesome, Frank. It was a pleasure having you on the show today and hearing some of the keys to a Christian apologetics. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for having me on, Noah. God bless. If you want to get involved with Uncommon Sports Group and the mission that we are on to help you navigate the sport industry as followers of Christ, apply for our academy on our website at uncommonsg.org. That's uncommonsg.org. Be sure to catch new episodes of the Uncommon Podcast every Thursday at midnight Eastern Time as well as the full video episodes on our YouTube channel. Until next time, we pray that you will strive to be uncommon by glorifying the name of God in whatever you may do. See you next week.